There we go. God, thank you that we can come to you this morning and open up your word. God, prepare our hearts and minds for what it is you have to say. God, we eagerly desire to hear from you. So speak through me and speak, O Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Uh, To begin, I I do want to say uh, it's good to be back with you all. Uh, Every time I'm gone, I want you to know that I genuinely, I genuinely miss being here on Sunday mornings. I just love being in the foyers, seeing, see this, this is the family, this is my uh, church family, and so when I'm not here, I miss you, but the men who are on the retreat at Covenant Point, we had a wonderful time, uh, 15 of us guys up there, and we really bonded and shared life, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful experience, so thank you for your prayers, and uh, thanks for supporting us as we went up there. Now this morning, let's begin. The, I believe that the world around us greatly values appearance. We greatly value appearance. We live in a very wealthy and success-oriented culture. And so achievement, status, how we look, how we dress, what kind of house, what kind of car we drive, they can be very important things. And it's important, it's important in our culture, and I believe this even impacts the church, it's important to us to make it appear that we have it all together, that things are good in our lives. And those things that would make it not appear that we have it, all, have it all together, we'd like to keep those things in the dark. We'd like to keep that hidden from other people, maybe hidden from God or even from the church. We want to keep it in the dark. We want to keep our sin in the dark. Jesus said this as much in John chapter 3. He said, The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Jesus said, it is human nature to not want our deeds exposed, to not want the sinful parts of us exposed. We want to keep our sin in the dark. But brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you this morning that when we do that, when we keep our sin in the dark from God and from others, it will actually cause more havoc in your life. It is spiritually detrimental to our souls. Keeping up the facade is really hard work. Pretending that we're we're better than we are is really difficult. And something happens to us on the inside that is not good for us. And I believe that what we need is the healing power of confession. We need an intervention of confession in our lives. So, The question I want to ask is, how can we move from darkness to light through the practice of confession? Well, I can think of no better text in the Bible to talk about confession in my book than Psalm 51. This is the quintessential confession text in the Bible. So I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 51 in your Bibles and follow along. And lots of these psalms, they have uh, little superscriptions, little things that tell you about what, what this psalm was for, why it was written, and the little phrase above the verse it says this psalm is for the director of music it's for worship it's a psalm of david when the prophet nathan came to him after david had committed adultery with bathsheba david had just committed probably the worst sin of his whole life perhaps you can call recall a time in your life when you did something that you regretted the most david had lusted after another married woman bathsheba and committed adultery with her. Then, he tried to keep it in the dark by having Uriah killed in battle. 
he murdered him. And then David tried to keep all of this a secret, tried to keep it in the dark, tried to keep the facade up. But God, but God wanted to bring David's sin out of the darkness and into the light so that David could repent. And God, in his mercy, sends the prophet Nathan to confront David. And he tells him a little story, but I'm paraphrasing here. Nathan basically says to David, you're guilty. You are the man. You are the guilty person. You did it. You're the man. You are guilty. Friends, we don't get Psalm 51 unless Nathan says to David, you're the man. Unless the Holy Spirit provides conviction, we won't get to confession. We need conviction before confession. And so in order to save us from our sin, in order to save us from the, dar- the darkness, God will do all kinds of things because he wants you to be healthy and whole. He might send friends in your life. Maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's a preacher, maybe it's somebody else. Maybe it's something you read in the Bible and suddenly the light fills you and you, and you, and you begin to understand, oh, I am at fault. I am a great sinner in need of God's great grace. And we'll come back to this point at the end of the sermon. But for now, we're ready to ask, how do we get right with God when, when everything goes wrong? How do we restore the light when everything around us is darkness? How do we confess our sins to God? Now, in this prayer that David gives, I notice five movements in this prayer that will help us confess our sin to God. And movement number one is to say, have mercy on me, O God. The first lines of the text, have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. This is the plea of somebody who knows that they have messed it up big time. They have messed it up. And David's first instinct is to cry out to God, have mercy on me. There's no sense in approaching God with anything else. The first order of business is, I need mercy. It reminds me of Isaiah, who when he realized he was in God's presence, the first thing he said is, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Or if you've been reading our Bible, you recently read, in our Bible reading plan, you recently read the, the story of the prodigal son. And when the prodigal son comes to his senses, the first thing he says is, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You see, he realizes the first thing I need is mercy. You know, we love that prodigal son story because it it is such a wonderful picture of God's love for us. But don't forget that the prodigal son came to his senses. He had a moment of conviction, a moment of what I've been doing is so wrong, and it's actually not good for me, I need to return. We need that moment of conviction. I think it's fascinating that uh, Christians of all kinds of traditions, but especially in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, they regularly pray what is known as the Jesus Prayer. You might be familiar with it. It's a simple prayer, and it says, Lord, have mercy on me, or "Lord Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's all it is. And they pray this prayer over and over again throughout the day. And isn't it fascinating? that thousands of Christians, maybe more, at the center of their spiritual life is a prayer that says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Perhaps evangelical Christians could learn from our other brothers and sisters and other traditions and incorporate this prayer for mercy as central. There's something central about that prayer to our walk with Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. So we can cry out to God because God has told us He is merciful. 
He is, according to God's unfailing love, David prays, his covenant love, his enduring love, his faithful love that is faithful to us even in our moments of our greatest unfaithfulness. But oftentimes we may not believe, or perhaps the enemy gets us to believe that God doesn't want to forgive, or perhaps we couldn't receive the mercy for what we've done. I remember as a young boy, I was probably about 10 years old, and uh, my older brother and I uh, thought we'd have some fun. There was a house being built next door to us, and the construction team had a, one of those enclosed white trailers where they store tools in and whatnot, and uh, we had some little rocks by our driveway, and for some reason, this is the sin nature in us, right? <laughs> for some reason, we thought that it would be funny to take a rock, throw it against the trailer, make a loud noise, and run away. So that's what we do. Bang! Run away, run away, run away. You know, make sure they don't get us. So we did this probably about 15 to 20 times before we realized, oh, they're not here. <laughs> no, one, no one's there. This isn't doing anything. So we, we gave up our little game. Well, the next day, a strange man who I recognized from the construction team comes to the door, rings the doorbell. I answer the door. Is your mother home? Is your mother or father home? It was during the day, so I asked for my mom. Is your mom home? So yeah, she is. So I, I'm immediately thinking, oh no. What's going to happen? I'm getting nervous. My mom answers the door, and, I, and I, over, I overhear the conversation. And the guy says, hey, we, we have this brand new trailer for our construction business that we bought. And uh, we noticed about 20 or so dents in our brand new trailer. It's got to be about $1,000 of damage. And we're just wondering, did you see anything? Did you, did you happen to see anybody outside yesterday? We're just trying to figure out what's going on. And I am very nervous at this point. And my, mind, my 10-year-old mind is, is, is running. Oh, my gosh. $1,000 of damage, that's like 10 times more on my dad's lawn, or 100 times. That's, this, is, this is a crazy amount of money. What if I get in trouble? What if I get grounded all summer? What if I go to jail? I mean, this is serious stuff. And so my mom turns, turns to me and says, did you see anything? I said, no. We didn't see nothing. And I carried that with me. I'm almost ashamed to tell you the story because it's, 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 it still has given me pain at times, but we did not want to confess. We did not want to confess because we were so nervous that something terrible would happen to us, that we wouldn't receive mercy, that w what we had done was so wrong that we couldn't be forgiven. And I think many of us, we have this same mindset when we come to God. We don't want to confess because we were afraid. I've done something so wrong, I've done something so horrible, maybe God couldn't forgive me at all. So we're ashamed and we hide our sin, we keep it in the dark because we're ashamed of what we've done. But, oh, friends, know this morning, God has unfailing love. He has unfailing love. And he longs to forgive and reconcile you no matter what you've done. And he wants you to come clean, to repent, and to experience his mercy and grace. Can you imagine God forgiving an adulterous murderer? He did. He forgave King David. Can you imagine God forgiving a religious terrorist? He did. He forgave the Apostle Paul and used him to establish the early church. God's grace is so unfathomable to our, our human mind, we can't even grasp it. It's so big. His mercy and grace is so big. We can cry out to God for mercy for anything we've done, and the good news is God will be merciful. We have a good God. So that's the first movement. Have mercy on me, O God. The second, second movement of this prayer is to say, I completely admit my sin and my sinfulness. I completely admit my sin and my sinfulness. 
David says, I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. See, David, he's so racked with guilt, he can't stop thinking about what he has done. You ever been there? Or does something is so on your mind? He's messing up big time, he knows. And then he uses the three main words for sin in the Hebrew Bible. He wants to describe, he's done it all. Transgressions. That's crossing the boundary line that God has set. Iniquity. That's the bending or twisting. It's the idea of crookedness. If, if God's holiness is a straight, straight line, then iniquity is bending it all out of shape to fit what we want. And then there's sin, which means missing the mark. If God's standard is a bullseye, anything not right on target is missing the mark. Anytime we don't live up to God's desire for our lives, we miss the mark. And these are all talking about the same thing. I think maybe the definition from the the covenant catechism maybe would help here. It says, sin is anything in thought, word, or deed contrary to the will of God. It's simple. Thought, word, or deed contrary to the will of God. What's important about this is God defines the standard. God defines it. We don't get to determine what what, what sin is or what it isn't. Because we, in our sinfulness, are often prone to call good what God calls evil. God alone sets the boundary that we must not cross. He determines the straight line that we should not bend. He sets the mark that we ought to strive to meet. We are the creature. He is the creator. But we don't like to admit that. You know, I think we often test God's boundaries, kind of like my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter is testing the boundaries right now. No, honey, you cannot have marshmallows before dinner. You need to have them after dinner. She says, no, Daddy, no, Daddy, no, Daddy. I can have marshmallows right before dinner. No, Daddy, I want marshmallows now. No, no, we're going to have dinner first. Then you can have the marshmallow. Oh, no, Daddy. Oh, no, I can have marshmallows now. I like marshmallows. And on and on and on this can go until finally I have to lay down the law sometimes. But we want to test the boundaries. And we, we don't get that God is establishing these for our good and for his purposes. They're for us and for his purpose in our lives. He is the creator and we are his creatures. And so this helps us understand verse 4 in the passage. David says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Did David sin against Uriah and Bathsheba? Yes, of course he did. Absolutely, horrifically and abusively, he did. What David done to the, had, did to them was absolutely horrible. But yet, all sin, no matter who it's against, is ultimately against the Creator. Rebellion against an all-holy God. It's against the Creator of the universe. So David admits that God is justified in condemning his actions He says, you're right in your verdict. You're justified when you judge. I love how there is no blame shifting here and there's no half apologies. Uh, You know, there's something that really tests my flesh, my sin. Have you ever heard people give half apologies? Oh, that 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 makes the blood boil. That makes the flesh rise up in me. Well, I'm sorry if I offended you. Anybody ever heard that? I'm sorry if I hurt you. I'm sorry if this, are you kidding me? Just apologize. 
We have to own up to what our actions have done to other people. I found this thing on, online. This might be the best thing you get in this whole sermon. Here's how to apologize. I'm sorry for blank. It was wrong because blank. And in the future, I will blank. Please forgive me. Honey, I'm sorry that I got too, I got too carried away in our argument. I got mad. It was wrong because I didn't show you respect. In the future, I will do better. Please forgive me. No blame shifting. Owning up to our responsibility for our actions, why it was wrong, and how it hurt other people. So we need to stop the half-confessing, the half-apologizing towards God, towards others. And we need to stop the shifting of blame. This is what we are prone to do in our human state. When Adam sinned, he blamed Eve. When Eve sinned, she blamed the serpent. And most of us are tempted to do the same thing, to blame our sin on anything but ourselves. And I think this is especially true in this cultural moment we find ourselves in. Uh, have you noticed that sin is not a word that people use much to describe what they do? It's not, it's not a word that's often used today. Because when we sin, we want to blame anything but ourselves, so we blame our personality type. Well, I know I was too aggressive and domineering, but I'm just an Enneagram 8. <laughs> that's just how I am. You know, I know I haven't shared my faith with Jesus with anyone, but I'm, I'm just an introvert. You know, I don't really spend time alone with God. I don't really like this whole prayer stuff. I'm alone. I'm just an extrovert. So we blame our personality. We blame our schedule. Oh, we're just too busy for the things that God's calling us to do. We blame our upbringing. Oh, it's how I was raised. It's what my parents taught me. I can't do anything else. But friends, the more you blame your, your sin, the more you blame your actions on other things or other people, the more problems it's going to cause in your life. I believe that. Do you want more spiritual light to flood into your life? Would you like to have more light flood into your life right now? Then own your sin. Own your disobedience. Own up to your problems. Say, yes, I'm the man. Like David said, oh God, against you have I sinned, and I have done what is evil in your sight. And not only does David admit his sin, but he also goes the further step, as ugly as it is, he admits, I am sinful in my being. Because no matter what your personality type is, we are all prone to sin. David says in verse 5, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And this means that within us, we all carry this, this darkness of sin that could overwhelm us. And when we hear of people doing things like David did, adultery, murder, maybe some of us are tempted to think, oh, that's so awful, I could never do that. I would never do something like that. Oh, friends, be careful. We need that old proverb. There, but the grace of God, go I. Some of the Christians have said for many years, there, but the grace of God, go I. It's this idea that if it wasn't for God's grace in my life, is it, if it wasn't for maybe the things I've been taught or the, the experiences I've been given or God's power at work in my life, there I would go. If it wasn't for God's grace. God said to Cain, sin is crouching at, at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Sin is crouching within us. It desires to overtake us. The enemy desires to deceive us. And the only way out of this mess, this darkness, is for God to intervene. And that's why we need the third prayer of this movement. Cleanse me. God, cleanse me. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Sin, David says, it's like this dirty stain. It's a, it's a stain in our lives and in our hearts. And it's like a record that's against us that needs to be blotted out. And it needs to be clean. 
You guys remember those old inf infomercial commercials? Maybe they still have them where there's like something that's super dirty and you would never think that there's no way this could possibly be, ever be clean. And then OxyClean comes out and whoosh, now, it's, now it's white. Now it's totally forgiven. It's totally clean. You see where I'm going with this? <laughs> it's the same way with our sin. Sometimes you think, gosh, there's no way that I could be clean for what I've done. But the blood of Jesus was shed on the cross so that no matter what you've done, you can be clean. David says, you wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Can you think of anything whiter than snow? Maybe a few things. Not much. That was the whitest thing he could think of. Whiter than snow. We'll be whiter than that. We will be clean. Friends, here is a gospel promise from 1 John. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone away, God can cleanse you of your sin. Your, rec your record can be wiped clean and you can have a brand new start with God. Hallelujah. That's good news. That's the third movement, cleanse me. The fourth is to say, renew me. Renew me. In verse 10, David prays, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. See, David knew the power of sin was so strong, it can be, it can be so addictive that we cannot overcome it. And I believe that the first step of, of AA is right. You admit that we are completely powerless. We are completely powerless on our own over sin. So David asked God to do something only God can do. God, create. Create. This is a word in the Hebrew Bible that is only used for God. Only God can create. So David is praying, God, do what only you can do. I can't fix this on my own. I can't even change myself. Change me from the inside out. Put a new heart within me. You see, when we confess our sins to God, we're not asking only for just forgiveness. We are asking for the power to do better next time. We are asking for a change of heart. We are not simply seeking justification. We are seeking our sanctification. Not just mercy, but also transformation. God, grant me a new heart. Renew me. Create in me a new heart. In verse 12, he says, Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And the word willing here means eager, enthusiastic. It's like the psalmist in, in chapter, chapter 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will, my God. Friends, the best way to overcome sin in our lives is to become a person who delights to do the will of God. Your delight, it's your joy to obey God. So the best way to overcome sin is to have a transformation of heart. Now I ask you a question. Can anybody in this room make this happen for somebody else? No. We can't make this happen for anybody else. In fact, we can't even make it happen for ourselves. We have to say, cry out to God, God, renew me. Create in me a clean heart. And once we have done this, once we have pleaded for mercy, we have completely admitted our sin and our sinfulness, we have asked God to cleanse us and renew us, and we, we finally come to number five. The prayer to say, I will humbly serve and worship. I will humbly serve and worship. In verse 13, David says, after all this, then... Then I will teach transgressors your ways, verse 13, so that sinners will turn back to you. Don't you think, can we just be honest with this, don't you think this is a little audacious of David to say this right now? Really? You, David, you're going to now teach other sinners your ways after what you just did? It's kind of unbelievable. But David was experiencing the horror and the pain of his sin and his guilt. Hidden. Because of that, his repentance 
was absolutely heartfelt, it was sincere, and it was total. He was absolutely broken before God. And when you have gone through that, when you have gone through that, God can totally use your pain and your past to help others turn back to Him. Your past sins don't disqualify you from serving God today. Thank God. That's true of all of us, isn't it? And David was able to return to serving God because he was absolutely broken over his sin. In verse 17, David says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. Friends, if you're not broken, if you're not contrite, if you're not sorry for your sin, then you're not ready to return to serving. God wants to use the humble. God wants to use the broken. God wants to to use those who know that they need his grace. And so it's, it's, it's so important that when we confess our sins, not to, not to just agree that, yes, I did what I did was wrong, but to have sorrow over what we have done, to be broken up about it, to be humble, to be contrite. Like the tax collector in the parable who is beating his chest, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And ultimately, these vows are part of David's confession. I did wrong. Now I want to commit to do God's work. And that includes teaching others. It includes worship. And it includes a return to discipling others in his ways. That's part of our obedience. That's part of our repentance. So this is our framework for confession. How do we move from the darkness to the light? These five movements of prayer, what David did. And it's purely God's grace that we even get to bring our sins to him and get right with him. Like the prodigal son, we are welcomed home surely by his grace, our admission that we need it, and our confession that we want to receive his grace. So during Lent, one of the things that Christians have found helpful to get right with God is to practice self-examination. And this is going to be our application for this morning. It's a, it's a process whereby we look into our own hearts. We look into the mirror, and we ask the Spirit to say to us, as Nathan said to David, you're the man, you're the woman. That's you. And traditionally, the questions that Christians have asked of themselves have been based off the Ten Commandments and the Seven Deadly Sins. So I I have a few questions based off the Great Commandments and those sins. And we're going to have a time of reflection, and you may find it helpful. There's a little card in your bulletin, if I didn't say that, that says self-examination exercise. And it has these eight questions on there, or eight categories. And I'm going to invite the the band to come up. They're going to play for us. And some of you may find it helpful to circle one of these or to write something. But this morning, ask the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin so that you can confess and pray for transformation. And we, can, we can do this because we know God is merciful, and through Jesus Christ, He has forgiven us all our sins. And let me end with Lamentations 340. Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. Amen.